Y'all, I'm excited about VBS. It's going to be so good. I'm telling you, listen, um, one, of the, one of the beautiful parts, and the reason why I say if you can be involved in VBS and you're not, you're just straight up crazy. And here's the reason why. You get to watch like new people, literally like brand new people. They're like four or five years old, right? Like new people come to new life in Christ. And that is awesome. And you get to participate in that process of helping them grow to know Jesus Christ. In fact, um, I tell parents who often ask the question, and I have a two-year-old, so like, and I'm still trying to figure out, like, how do I make sure he knows Jesus? Like, it's just, and it's like my job to help people know Jesus. So like, I'm still trying to figure it out. Like, I, parents ask, well, how, like, how can I grow in, you know, knowing how to disciple my family? You know what one of the answers is? Go to VBS, volunteer for VBS. You'll literally get trained on how to disciple kids in the gospel, and then you can just like do it at home. So listen, it is an incredible opportunity that if you can be involved, be involved in VBS, be involved in VBS, be involved in VBS, because God gives new life. Isn't that cool? And whether you're, I don't know, five or 105, and I, I think that covers everyone in here, I think, uh, 145, that definitely covers everyone in here. Like God gives new life. In fact, that's what we're talking about today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, if you have a Bible, turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen, but uh, just turn there in your Bible if you have one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, we're going to see that, that God desires us to have New life. In fact, I have a very short uh, sermon point this morning, and I think you can remember it. And so, in order to help with that, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, Be new. All right, now turn to the person who just said that to you and say, No, you be new. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're going to talk about this morning that, like, God desires us to be new. And now, if you're, um, if you're not a follower of Christ, this has literal eternal implication. Like God has not designed you uh, to be living in the old life of sin that you have been living your entire life. God has designed you to be new. But, and, but now, also, for those who are followers of Christ... God has not designed you to live in the old life of sin that he saved you from. He's called you to be new. Have you ever met somebody who has something brand new and seen how they treated it? Uh, what do what uh, teenagers do? Or I don't know. I didn't get a car when I was a teenager. I had to buy my own. But like when I finally got one, like when you get your first car, whether it's new or just new to you, how do you treat that thing? Oh, man, you, like, make sure everyone who comes into your car doesn't have their coffee too full, if you allow coffee at all, right? Like, water only so you don't stain the carpets. Or uh, you, like, make sure every wrapper is picked up. Um, you make sure that it's clean and smells somewhat decent. And then, like, the next day, you don't care about it. But the point is, on day one, uh, you're really particular. You double park, you know, so people can't, like, park next to you. So if you go outside, just... In their double part, give them grace. Just think like they probably got a new car and they want to protect it, right? So like you do that stuff. Have you ever seen a, um, a parent, a new parent with a new baby? Now, I've been that before, right? Where you're like, I mean, you're like surrounding this kid so nothing can get close to him. And everyone who has allergies, mm -hmm, right? You say, okay, well, just 
keep your allergies away, then no, it's not cold. It's allergies. Well, after allergy season, you can come near my kid, right? Like you do that. But then, um, you know, somewhere around kid two, like, I don't know. You're just glad someone else will hold them. And so he just kind of, that's, the analogy breaks down. But the point is that when they're new, man, they kind of like, they really protect that, that new little life. And so what the Bible tells us to do with our new life and what Paul's going to challenge the church at Corinth to do is to see the new life that God has given them in Christ. And well, in the process, challenge those who think they have life in Christ telling them that they actually don't have life. The book of of 2 Corinthians was written to the church at Corinth. Did you know that? If not, just look at like chapter 1, verse 1. And you see, I've been around church long enough to know that sometimes those who are in church are convinced that they have new life, but they really don't. You can tell by the way that they treat their new life. If someone was taking a bat to a car in the parking lot, you would know there's something wrong there, right? And in the same way, if someone was mistreating a new little baby, you would go, there is just something they don't understand about new life. They're not responsible for that. Or maybe that baby's not even theirs. You'd say there's something off. And in the same way, what Paul is doing to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16 through 21, is helping them see that, listen, God has not designed you to live in the old life that he saved you from. He's designed you to live in new life, and you ought to guard that thing like a like a teenager with a brand new car or a parent with a new little baby where you're protecting everything from it, going, man, don't scratch this paint of this new life in Christ. I just got this new paint job and this new life. Don't scratch it right now. And this passage is going to challenge us and ask us, like, do you really have new life in Christ? Well, I'm not just preaching that. Do you really have new life in Christ? You see, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, we're going to, we can't wiggle our way out of this because Paul is going to just drive straight at it. In fact, look at how he, how he begins in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, From now on, therefore... Okay, so what Paul just said, he's pointing back to what he just said in verse 15 and 14 how the idea that because Christ has died for you, you ought to live your life now for him. That those who are alive in Christ are dead to themselves in living their life for the sake of knowing Christ. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Here's how Paul introduces this section of verses. He says, listen, because we have been redeemed, because we have been given new life, because we are called as followers of Christ to live everything for him, we don't look at people in this world the same way as the world looks at people in this world. In fact, we even once saw Jesus in this world. That's what that second, that first word regard means I've thought through this process and now I have this conclusion. This second word regard means uh, experiential um, knowledge where we once experienced Jesus on earth, but we don't experience him like that anymore. That Jesus 
is different than when we first heard about him. He is actually much greater. And what is the greater thing that now changes everything about Paul to say, I am dead to myself and I'm living for Christ. My life is no longer mine. I am brand spanking new. What is the thing that happened? The thing that happened is the gospel. In fact, look at verse 17. Paul says, therefore, this idea, listen, everyone who is in Christ is brand new. I don't see them like the world sees them. I see them like God sees them. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Look at the person next to you and say, be new. That the Bible, this passage challenges us. God challenges us to be new because you are not your old self. You are not an old car parked in a new garage. You are a brand spanking new life that God has given in Christ. And how did he do that? In fact, look at continuing on in verse 17. He says, the old has passed away. Your old life is dead and the new has come. And now look at how he goes into verse 18. Because if you're like me, that seems like almost too good of news to be true. You know what I've learned um, in my years as a pastor, which isn't that many, but it is a few. I've learned that as I talk with people, you don't have to try very hard to convince them that they're sinners. It's super easy. Paul's going to do that in just a minute. In fact, when he wrote to the church at Corinth the first time, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, here's how he described them. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed and you were sanctified. You were set apart. You were justified. You were declared as having met the standard in Christ Jesus our Lord by the Spirit of God. You see, it's not very hard to convince people that you have not met the perfect standard of God. Any honest, sane person will say, well, of course, if there's a perfect standard, I haven't been perfect my whole life. But the beauty of God's gospel is not the new reality that you have failed to meet his standard, but rather this beautiful reality that he has redeemed you from that. You see, it's not that necessarily the the, the punishment for sin that people have a hard time believing, but in my years as a pastor, I've learned it's the grace of God towards those who deserve punishment that's most difficult. You see, that's what the church at Corinth was struggling with. That you mean to tell me that because I'm a Christian, he owns everything about me and it ought to change everything about me. Well, yeah. And you mean to tell me that with all of my garbage and all of my baggage and all of my history, that God would still receive me? Look at how he continues in verse 18. He says, all this is from God. And here's how he did it. Who 
through Christ. Okay, so all this idea of you being, you're old has nothing to do with age. It's a spiritual term, which means dead in your sin, in your trespasses, all of those things that are true of the, uh, what, that are true of a church. Those are sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, those who practice homosexuality, thieves, the gambit, all of the things. As, as I'm reading off, you're like, man, one or all of those apply to me, God has taken all of those things and made them new for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And verse 18, all of that being made new is from God, who through Christ reconciled, that's a fancy word for uh, restored our relationship, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul points exactly to Jesus as he's beginning to address the church at Corinth where some of them think that they have new life in Christ and saying, listen, it is God himself who reconciles that is all that counts. Man, if you're in here this morning and you come from a different faith background, that you believe that somehow your proper standing before God is found through a series of rope prayers that give you benefit points and hopefully you've accumulated enough. If you're in here this morning and your idea of what it means to have a relationship with God is hopefully I do enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff so I can get to a good place. Or maybe if I don't qualify for a good place, there's like a medium place, but I'm just trying to avoid the bad place. Or maybe you're in here today and you have no idea what to do, what to think about any of this stuff. I want you to know that God has designed you to be brand new, even though you are full of sin and you are not in good relationship with him, that God himself has worked out a way for you to be restored fully back to him. And verse 19 tells us how he does that. Look at verse 19. He says, that is, that is, he's going to help summarize this whole thing for us. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Here's what Paul points to. He says, you got to know, church at Corinth, that your sin can be reconciled, your trespasses can be taken care of, because God in Christ is reconciling the entire world, all who would believe, redeeming everything that will be his back to himself, and you can participate in that reconciliation. Did you know that from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve took of the fruit and ate of the apple and sin entered this world and everything was ruined, that God was working out a plan of reconciliation? Did you know that when he called out Abraham in the Old Testament and said, I'm going to be your God and I'm going to expand your, uh, your lineage to reach the nations that everyone would glorify me, that God was working out a plan of reconciliation? Did you know that when God tested Abraham's faith through sacrificing Isaac, that God was working out his plan of reconciliation, pointing to a sacrifice that would be made? Did you know that when God raised up Jacob and Esau and Jacob had 12 sons and the 11th one, Joseph went over to Egypt and God's people were rescued because of the famine, that God was working out a plan of reconciliation? Did you know that when God raised up Moses to free his people under bondage in Egypt, it was all a part of God's plan, working it out of reconciling the world back to himself? 
Did you know that when those people, man, kept raising up like king after king after king, some of them did a decent job of being godly. Most of them did not. Disobeying God and leaving him. Did you know that in the middle of all of that, God was working out this plan of reconciliation? Did you know that in the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that God was working out his plan of reconciliation even when we couldn't hear from him. And did you know that when Jesus Christ was born, finally we see that God's plan of reconciliation has been, has been given to us through the life and death and resurrection of Christ, that God's plan of reconciling the world is now found through Jesus Christ. So listen, if you're in here today and your version of being right before God is anything other than being reconciled because of Christ, You are wrong in your sin. But if you're in here today and you are a follower of Christ, I want you to know it is only because God has restored you through Jesus Christ as he is restoring the whole world to himself. And we can celebrate our God by whom our salvation is all from that he has reconciled us. And if you say, man, that sounds sounds crazy. It is. It's It's crazy. Here's what he did. We hear this so much if we're in church world. Sometimes, man, it just washes over us. Yeah, my sins have been taken care of. Man, <laughs> did you? Okay, so he, he took your trespasses according to verse 19, and he just simply didn't count them against you. Now, let's be clear. He counted them against somebody, but he didn't count them against you. Did you know there's like, there's like three categories of, of trespassing? It means um, crossing a line, right? Like, like trespassing, what we know trespassing to mean. It means you crossed a boundary that you're not supposed to be in. Uh, sometimes um, we trespass because we, uh, we, just, we just don't, we didn't, didn't know. We didn't, and I trespassed not on purpose, right? Um, I, uh, a few years ago, um, was pulling out of my neighborhood and uh, turning onto Warwick Boulevard in Newport News, and I passed CNU, and uh, I had been on the road for about 30 seconds, and then I saw blue lights in my rearview mirror, right? Now, you all have been there before. Your heart drops. You don't know what to do. Like, you just, I thought, this can't possibly be me. I didn't do anything. Like, I, I've literally been on the road for 30 seconds. I stopped at a red light, and I turned right. And I'm like, did I roll through it? Like, did I, what did I do? And so um, I get pulled over and I learned that, well, I learned from a previous encounter, <laughs> another time for another, that CNU cops are, they're real cops. Like they can, they can arrest you and give you tickets and things. So you just like, I learned that. And so when he pulled me over, I knew like, I'm actually in trouble here. Like, man, this is crazy. So they walked up and said license and registration. And um, he, he said license and registration. So I, I gave him my license and registration. And I said, um, like, what did I, what did I do? I, I can't figure it out. And he said, oh, proof of insurance. I said, okay, I, I can do that. I can give that to you. But like, can you just tell me what I, what I did? He said, I'll be right back. So I'm sitting there like mulling over, like, I really, y'all, I could not tell you a thing I did wrong. I could not tell you anything I did wrong, at least in that section in front of CNU on Warwick Boulevard. Had he followed me longer, I absolutely would have done something wrong. No question about that. But like in that moment, I hadn't even had time to speed yet. And so he came back and said, do you want to know what, uh, what you're getting a ticket for? I said, yeah, please. I have no idea. He said, your tags are expired. Yeah, I know, right? 
yeah, like who even checks that? How many of you, before you go get in your car, you're like, I know there are, there are cops in here. And you're like, you, be, you know, but like normal people don't do that, right? Like, so he said, your tags are expired. And I said, oh man, you know, like maybe they mailed it and I missed it or it's got to be on its way. Um, I'm really sorry. My tags are expired. I'll take care of it today. And he said, well, no, you don't understand. Your, your tags expired in November. It was April. And so, man, I had been trespassing that law for like six months and had no idea everywhere I went. You see, we, we sometimes, we trespass unintentionally, don't we? Some people didn't even, you don't even know that you're not worshiping God like you ought to until God's word tells you. You didn't even know that you were committing adultery with your thoughts in your heart. And then God's word told you. You didn't even know how slandering a brother or sister in Christ or gossiping about somebody is actually slandering Christ himself and no one told you until the Bible told you. You see, we unintentionally sin all the time. So there's unintentional trespassing, but there's also like momentary trespassing. So let's pretend for just a minute, this is a made up story because after the eight o'clock hour, they're like, we're never driving with you. This is not true of me. It's not unlikely, but it is not true. Let's pretend for just a moment that uh, on the way home, you decided to go 105 in 55 mile per hour zone in the construction area of 64, or 264, or 464, or 664, because all of them are constantly under construction. But my point is this. Let's pretend for just a moment you decided to go 60 over, right? And you get pulled over by a cop. And let's just pretend for just a minute that you had a good reason to do that. You said, well, it was just for a little bit, like because there was someone slow in front of me, and I just, I just passed them real quick. I only went 60 over for like a couple of miles, and I've been driving for like 20 miles. So I don't really know what the big deal is. Like 90% of the time, I was good to go. Do you think that cop is going to care at all whether or not you were going 60 over for only a couple of miles compared to your entire length of your drive? No way. That drive to jail is going to be the same length no matter what, right? I mean, the, the point is, even though it was momentary, it was still trespassing. It was, um, uh, it's, I, I got a letter in the mail last week that I owe $90 to the University of Arkansas. I didn't even know I owed $90, and on top of that, it was because I took one class for one semester, and I was only a little bit late on my final payment, a little bit late, and so I have some fines that are due. I had no idea, but all I did was I was just a little bit late. It doesn't matter. I still have that debt that needs to be paid. You see, sometimes we trespass, and we don't know about it. Sometimes we trespass, and it's just for a season. Man, I... I did, I, I've been faithful to my wife most of the time, right? Most of the time, I talk well about people. I only stole for a little bit, but the rest of the day, I was fine. We see these things and go, come on, man. So there's not only momentary and, and unintentional, but y'all, we know there's intentional trespassing, isn't there? It's that sign that you see no trespassing on. The very first truck I got was awesome. It was a four-wheel drive Toyota Tacoma uh, with a six-inch lift and 33-inch BF Goodrich all-terrain tires. And, uh, man, it was beautiful. And there was this sign as I was driving. We were going mudding, and um, 
and there's a sign that said no trespassing. You just, that means that there's probably somewhere you, all, you can drive with your truck back there, right? Uh, and so like, that's, 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 that's trespassing intentionally. If you've ever lived with a two-year-old, ever, or seen one, or known one, or heard about two-year-olds, ever, they unintentionally trespass all the time. It looks like this. Tolson, oh, I'm sorry, I'll use a random name, not my son's. Um, the oven is hot, don't touch it. <laughs> right? Don't touch, if you disobey, there are consequences to disobedience. Oh, man, it drives me crazy. It drives random people. It drives hypothetical people crazy. Here's my point, right? They, we, we trespass intentionally all the time, and here's what I want you to know. The Bible tells us that it does not matter if you didn't know or it was only for a little while or if intentionally you went outside of God's standard for sexual morality the church at Corinth had gone outside of it. It didn't matter if it was just for a little while that they were worshiping other things, even if they didn't know. That didn't matter. The church at Corinth had trespassed. It doesn't matter if you expressed your sexuality in whatever way that you desired to do that, even if just for a season, or you didn't know God had a standard. Like, God has a standard, even if you don't know that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter before God that you, you gossiped all you wanted about everybody else and you just did it for a little while only when it was necessary to share or whatever. And that doesn't matter. It's still gossip before God. And in that process, you now have a burden and a weight of sin. But look at verse 19. It says that he reconciled to the, the world to himself by not counting their trespasses against them. That every way that you have intentionally or momentary or, or, or uh, unintentionally sinned, every single thought and attitude and action, every single way that you were uh, active or inactive in your sin, every single piece of your past and every single piece of your present and every single way that your emotions go awry, every single area of your life where you can sin and cross the line of God's holiness, God takes your crossing, your trespassing, and through the gospel says, I'm not going to count that against you. In fact, look at who he counts it again in, against in verse 20 and 21. Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, some of your translations say, like, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen to me. Followers of Christ, you need to hear this, and those who are in their sin, you need to hear this. God takes every single way that you have crossed the line into sexual immorality, and he takes every one of those sins, and he puts it on Jesus Christ. He takes every single way that you worship something other than God, and he puts that on Jesus Christ. He takes every single way that you've ever profaned your marriage covenant, whether you knew it or not, it was for a little while or it was intentional, and he puts that on Jesus Christ. 
He takes every time you selfishly gained something or every time you gossiped about somebody or every time you had the wrong attitude towards somebody or every single time you had the wrong thought towards somebody or every single time you took something that wasn't yours or every single time you lost it and were out of control in your anger or frustration or whatever caused it. He takes every single time and he reconciles you back to God through Jesus Christ, not counting that towards you, but counting it on Christ instead. And you know what you get as a follower of Christ? You get the perfect righteousness of God. That he became sin. Every single form of it. There's nothing, there's no category outside where God was like, well, that one's like pretty rough. I don't know what to do with that. No, on the cross of Christ, he takes it. And he became sin, who knew no sin, so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. And then look at chapter 6, verse 1. That's not here, but my watch ran out of battery, so we have extra time right now, I think. (laughs) Paul says, do not receive this in vain. Oh, I'm working with God so you you wouldn't somehow think that this is a small thing. If you're a follower of Christ, here's what you need to hear. You are not defined before the throne of God by the mistakes you made in your teens, by whatever you did that was terrible in your 20s, by however it is that you wasted your 30s, by whatever it is that you'll do in your 40s. And I don't think there's anyone over 40 in this room, so I'll stop there. But you are not defined by God, by your past regrets and mistakes and the things, man, that we mull over as we're laying in bed talking to ourselves or in the car with our windows rolled up as that thought of what we did when we were 16 rolls through us or what we did last weekend rolls through and we begin to doubt like, how is my even sta- my standing with God? Am I even a Christian? And God looks at that and goes, no, you don't understand. Like, I... I put that on Jesus, and you have my perfect righteousness. Listen, follower of Christ, don't you dare talk about God's son or daughter like that. You tell yourself when you feel the waves of guilt rolling over you of the regrets of your life that if you've asked God to forgive you, if you have not, there's no good news for you right now. But if you've asked God to forgive you, if God has taken your sin, restored your relationship through Jesus Christ, he looks at you and says, you're You're perfect. You're you're perfect. If you're in here and you're a follower of Christ, what do we do with this? Man, would you just believe that you have new life? Would you just be new? Like you're you're new. Be, Be new. Be reconciled to God. You are reconciled to God. Live as one reconciled to God and go forward now forever in your new, brand new life. Man, preach the gospel to those regrets. Preach the gospel to those sins. Those are my former things that have passed away. Behold, new things have come and now walk in them. Now listen, I'm not trying to say that you need to justify sin in your life. That would be a misuse and an abuse of this passage. But what I am saying is that how much time do we spend as followers of Christ regretting the things that we've done in the past? And it, man, it, it just destroys what God wants to do in us now and in the future. Oh, find freedom in the gospel. You can be new. You can be new. You are new. 
And if you're not a follower of Christ, those who are followers of Christ that are believing the gospel that they already know to be true, would you receive the work of the gospel that God wants to do in your life? Again, it's not easy to convince you that you're not perfect. The problem with your imperfection, though, is that God is holy and you're not, and that's a problem. And I want you to know there is no amount of church membership. There is no amount of life group. There is no amount of giving to charities. There is no amount of helping people be good. There's, those, are, those are good things. Those aren't bad things. Those are good things. They just, they don't pay the debt that you've paid for your trespasses. If you're not a follower of Christ, would you receive the gift of God through Jesus Christ that he would reconcile you back to himself? It's the only way, the Bible says. In fact, let's go to the Lord now, everybody in this room, in prayer and allow the Lord to work on our heart in this. In fact, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're new to church world, uh, that means we're just just kind of look down and close your eyes and we're going to go to a time just kind of reflect on God's word here. If you're not, if you are a follower of Christ, I want to ask you, where are you defining your current walk with God? Defining it more by your former sin your former life than you are your new life. If you're a follower of Christ and you've just been failing to believe the gospel, would you just take this moment to preach the gospel to yourself? Ask God to help you understand how beautiful this good news is that you who were once far off have been brought near, that you who were dead are now alive. You were old, have nothing to do with age in your former sins, and you're, you're made brand new because of the gospel. And believe that. And keep rehearsing that thing over and over and over and asking the Spirit to speak through you and in you. As those who are followers of Christ are having that conversation with God, if you are not a follower of Christ, I want you to know that God desires to reconcile, to restore your relationship with him. You can't do anything to earn it. You won't do anything to get it better. That God's not desiring a better version of you or an updated version of you. He's looking for a brand new version of you and he can make you brand new. That's why Jesus calls it born again to Nicodemus in John chapter three. What I'm asking you right now is not to feel sorry and try to do better. What I'm asking you is to realize that you have trespassed and that God can fully pay the debt of sin that you have against him. And if that's you and you're not a follower of Christ and you would like to be, Right now, why don't you just talk to God and pray to him something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you paid the penalty for all my sin. God, I ask that you wouldn't count my trespasses against me. 
And I thank you that you've counted them to Jesus. And then just tell God how great he is in whatever words you got. You can't pray wrong to God. Now in here today, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna go through a time where we sing and maybe you're in here and you have been as a follower of Christ failing to believe the gospel over an area of your past or maybe you're realizing that God is revealing to you that you have an area of your life in the present that you've been living in your former ways and God is beginning to convict you of that. There's gonna be some people up front. We'd love to pray with you if you're a follower of Christ to share with you, man, what does it look like to kind of help get over this? That's what we're here for as pastors, to help shepherd you forward in your walk with Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ, after I pray, when we say amen and stand up, I I would love to talk with you. You too, come on forward. Grab, Grab us by the hand or just come walk and talk and say, hey, today I gave my life to Christ best I know how. I just wanna know what it looks like next. But whatever it is, Let's walk out of here and be new. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being so good to us. I pray, God, that in this moment, you would give us the courage and conviction to respond appropriately to you. Lord, thank you for your gospel. Man, thank you for saving me. Lord, for those who aren't followers of Christ in the room, help them to believe it that whatever depths depths of sin that they had, that your grace was even deeper. Lord, for those who aren't followers of Christ, God, give them the courage and conviction to respond to your call of salvation in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.